I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. When it came time to sit down and edit my episode with Vancouver cinematographer Toby Gorman, I didn't. It ended up being such an easy-flowing conversation that I decided to leave it as is and allow it to breathe, as if we were two old friends chatting over tea. We are oldish friends, but there was no tea. Toby hails from the UK, and after literally being thrown into the deep end upon his arrival on the West Coast, he found himself working on shows like Supernatural, The Dead Zone, and X-Men 3. He moved into the lighting department, and now he's a well-respected cinematographer, most recently working on many of the Hallmark films shot in Vancouver and the CW television show Riverdale. We discuss the merits of UK versus Vancouver life, what it's like on set as a DP, and how important family support is when a spouse works in film. And yes, he has a lovely English accent. And language is fine. You can swear as much as you want. Just fucking go for it. Toby (laughs) Gorman! Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm really great. Thanks for coming to join me today in my humble little podcast. No problem. I just keep suckering people into showing up, which is kind of surreal. Yeah, well, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to kind of open with hiatus season because it's, you know, mid-May. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know about hiatus in Vancouver film. So a lot of, you know, cast, crew, they're just walking around a bit lost. I see you have a five o'clock shadow. Everyone's (laughs) let themselves go a little bit. I I must say I'm a one shave a week guy, so even on set I'd have a five o'clock shadow by Wednesday. Oh, fair enough. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, like let's tell everybody what hiatus is because we're right in it. I feel like it's a timely piece to start with. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's funny with hiatus because I probably have a different relationship to a lot of people because um, my jobs generally each year are are quite different and so it's hard to identify when a lull might be for everyone else. I know when it's harder to hire people than other times, you know, because no one's available and stuff. Um, And I guess obviously I'm not working right now uh, and I am certainly between shows so uh, it obviously is high to season at least for me and obviously for everyone else. Um, But yeah, I guess it's the time between, uh, you know, when a lot of the big shows wrap um, and then, you know, there's, yeah, two or three months before they get going again and shoot for nine months again. All the big actors go home, right? They go back yeah. to the States usually to have some time off. Yeah, that's right. And uh, certain people... A couple m- months, right? Two months. That's right. Certain people moan about how it's a rubbish couple of months because it's not, uh, you know, the middle of summer or whatever. But, right, uh, yeah. It's January in Vancouver when the <laughs> when hiatus happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no complaints here. I love walking... And like, I'll walk around in flip-flops probably even in December when I'm not working, just to really know I'm not working. <laughs> well, and you're a hearty Brit, too, which we'll get into as well. But yeah, my husband's obviously in film. You guys go way back. Um, and I, I was telling you earlier before we started, you know, like day two or three of hiatus for him, he was super excited. He was creative. He's getting outside. He was staying up late watching Netflix shows and going down the rabbit hole of all the documentaries. And then it kind of morphs into sort of like a bit of a, a lost feeling. And he's doesn't know where the next paycheck's coming from. He applies for unemployment insurance. And then it's almost a slight panic of like, 
Maybe I'll just take something that's lesser, and I'll just take a day call on something. So it's funny watching him go from this glee to sort of—and it's every year. I'm like, this happens every year. Yeah. <laughs> We're a bit more poor in May and June, but you're rich in time, right? Sure. So anyways, that's hiatus for everybody that kind of doesn't understand that. So if you're creeping shows and trying to find Supernatural and all these guys, they're not here. They're not back until July. So you can go about your regular life. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to get into sort of how you started in this. You know, you're, just for the record, Toby Gorman is a cinematographer or a director of photography, and we'll get into what that is. But I want to, obviously, you're English, and I want to talk about your start in the UK and just sort of how it got you over to Vancouver. So why don't you tell everyone that kind of story? Sure, here we go, yeah. Um, so um, I went to uh, university and did uh, an art degree, um, which was, ended up being sculpture, which is kind of strange um, based on what I was doing. But basically, when I was a kid, I was into drawing and painting and stuff, and to me, that's what the art world was all about. And then I went to art school and uh, discovered the real art world, which is... Lots of confusing objects in galleries that most people don't go to. Um, and uh, so I had this real um, journey of um, disillusionment and then trying to figure out what I did like and what I didn't like. Um, so basically I did this art degree um, and towards the end of it um, I started to make more work that was um, sort of video based and, and sort of and I was doing like sculptures and projecting onto them and, and things like that. Um, and um, But I always had an issue with the fact that you know, we're doing this, this, these works that, you know, apparently discuss these issues about being a human being. Um, but an incredibly tiny section of society actually goes to our galleries and, and gets to see these works. And even when they do see them, they don't know what the hell they are a lot of the time. And that's not to say there's not fantastic artworks. Of course there are. But there's also a, a that swat, elite a, vibe. Yeah, and there's a, in a, a art school especially, like 95% of what people are doing is uh, you don't really need to take the time to go and look at, you know, but then there's 5% who's doing great stuff. So anyway, I had a bit of a existential process going on there. And um, by the time it got to the end of my degree, I was like, what am I doing? And I did a, a master's just to buy myself some time um, to figure out what the hell I was doing with my life. And uh, I approached my master's very differently and decided to not worry about the art world so much and just sort of do what made sense to me more. And that, and I naturally started making more video work and I was doing like, you know, I was doing like video installations where I'd sort of make short films and um, that were exploring like the language of cinema and stuff like that, that people could, you know, walk into a gallery and see this projection and hear sounds and, and that sort of thing. Um, so by the end of that, I was much more interested in narrative filmmaking and as, especially as to me, film was a way that um, we could, you know, discuss these life issues or, you know, issues of being a human being in a form that people actually take part in and actually go to the cinema. They watch movies, they watch TV. And so it just seemed like it just made sense as far as an accessible medium that incorporated so many of the art forms like, you know, uh, fine art, whether it be like sculpture or, um, you know, and music and, and photography and everything. So, you know, it's a, it's a medium that contain that, you know, includes so many of these art forms and but the best thing about it is that people actually want to go and see it. Um, so that made more sense to me. And so by the end of my master's, I was just making, um, I was trying to make um, sort of narrative projects. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't know anything about photography. I didn't know anything about lighting, that's for sure. I uh, didn't know anything about it. the film industry, knew nothing. Um, and um, uh, so I, but I sort of went on personal missions to sort of make some shorts, some of which I made, some which never got made, but I learned a, a lot in the process of not making them. Um, and um, and made a couple, so I ended up, yeah, ended uh, entered some 
sort of short film competitions. One one was like the 50 quid film festival and he had to make a, a film for 50 quid. Um, and uh, so me and, my, me and a friend made uh, this film about uh, the, a milkman with his last customer um, in, uh, you know, driving around the streets of London, uh, which we made for 50 quid. And um, we I think out of like, it was like a worldwide competition. I can't remember how many people entered it. Something like 500 and we came second. Nice. Um, yeah. It's kind <laughs> so, of a unique story, that one. Uh, yeah, it's a three minute, uh, three minute short. It's, it's, to be honest, it's probably still the best short I've made. <laughs> Isn't that funny? There's, a lot uh, of people say the early stuff. Yeah. They look back and it was kind of pure. Maybe you didn't uh, limit yourself so much or, or overthink it. Sure. Yeah, right? sure. Absolutely. Like you're definitely, you know, there's truth to the notion that the more experienced you are, the less you're going to try things. Um and, uh, yeah, I knew nothing, made a bunch of mistakes, um, you know, learned from them. Uh, but ultimately made a film that I'm quite proud of. So it's three minutes, no dialogue, one guy. Um, and production. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, Please. it was 50 quid, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and then we did another one. I made another one with the same friend, which is similar. It was like a 36-hour contest in, in London. And we made this, we had, we turned up in the morning so hungover without a clue what we were doing and we saw all these other film crews running around with like boom mics and cameras that clearly they knew how to make films and we didn't know what we were doing and we had one camera and no sound equipment and we ended up making this really um surreal um short film uh which we loved and and, and uh to this day it's probably my favorite screening experience because we then because at the end of the 36 hours they screen all the movies and we, we went so we sat in this theater with like you know 100 other filmmakers and watched you know 20 or 30 shorts and ours was on right towards the end and all these shorts were like bad <laughs> they were like you know but it's sort they, of they renegade had... film school right Kinda, like, yeah. like you know I, I would love your thoughts on film school in, in what you're describing because you essentially were giving yourself that film school because sure. I had somebody else on and, and they went to VFS and they were like there wasn't enough doing and making right. we made like one thing in the whole time that I was there instead of making something every day, let's say, and making a hundred things. Uh-huh. Maybe half of them are shit. Sure. But that's how you learn. Yeah, you yeah. You don't learn doing one. No, that's right, yeah. So, um... So yeah, we made we did we did that thing and we came like fourth or something and won some film course and anyway, so it kind of bolstered our confidence in filmmaking and and, and my confidence as well. Um, and I, but I wanted to move on to like dialogue driven things and um, but uh, and anyway, um, so at the time I'd finished my masters and uh, with the same friend that I'd made these films with, he was working for a company and they needed a web designer and I sort of got led into that world and I started working as a web designer, which is how I was paying my rent for you know for the first bunch of years um whilst trying to make these little short films and i and i never assumed that i'd ever work in the film industry it was like this big alien uh you know that's what so many people say yeah and i thought i'll never meet someone to get a job there i've never met i'll have to just make my own little films and um and uh anyway this friend of mine he um he was moving to Vancouver with his company. I'd since left, and I was working for a cell phone company uh, doing cell phone graphics. It would be a great job if you wanted to do that. It was like, you know, a big cell phone company, um, and it was the cutting edge of, uh, you know, cell phone internet. And uh, Was it Vodafone? Uh, it was O2. O2. Uh, I lived in London for a while. I remember right. Vodafone distinctly. Yeah, yeah. There's one. Of the, there's like big, there's four of them or something that are the big four. And, um, My sad uh, little pay-as-you-go phone. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but I hated that. I hated working in an office. Um, I hated, you know, well, hate's a strong word, but it's the correct word, actually. <laughs> I was, I was going to kill people. Um, but a lot of film people say that. Like, my brother was on, too, and he you just can't, he can't function in a regular, quote-unquote, job. Yeah. It's like, just, a lot of misfits find film, right? I would spend my entire time, and any job I had, I would spend my entire time 
reading the internet about how to make films, how to shoot with cameras, how to record sound, how wow. to edit. So I would sit there, and any job I did, and you know, maybe people, maybe some people work really hard in offices, but it's amazing how much time people seem to waste. Have and you not I, seen the BBC show The Office? Yes. Nobody was working. Fair enough, because but basically I could fit my work into like twenty, thirty minutes of the day. So I'd spread I think that many out. people could, but yeah. don't don't tell the bosses. That. Well, this is it, and so I, I'd spread that out, and in the meantime, be doing my own research and writing scripts and stuff. Um, Did you but, think about going to film school, or you couldn't afford it? Or um, well, I'd done so it much. Sounds like you were already wanting to go that way. Well, maybe I think I probably did. Google a few film schools and stuff at the time, but I never really thought about it that seriously. And I'd just done a big bunch of education, so I wasn't really into... Go back to school again. Yeah, not at that time. Um, but uh, anyway, trying to not keep a long story too long, but um, uh, this friend of mine who I'd been making the films with, he moved to Vancouver with his job. And um, he was like, come to Vancouver, it's great. And I hated mine so much, um, my job so much that... Uh, and I looked into getting a year's visa, and it was like a six-week process. I applied for that, got it handed in my notice and I was like awesome I'm off to Vancouver knew nothing about Vancouver what year was that? Uh, 2005 okay um, and I knew zero about Vancouver um, didn't know there was a film industry uh, didn't know anything um, brought my camera my pal um, like you know standard yeah, definition camera that doesn't even the, work in going down the <laughs> going down the gangway to get on the plane yeah yeah that's it you know wide eyed and like woohoo new, new adventure um, which is amazing I, I recommend to anyone who hates their job leave it and uh, pursue something you want to do. Uh, if anyone I'm ever talking to is like, I hate my job, I'd say leave it. You know, and I know we've all got considerations to keep in mind. But anyway, um, I left it and it was amazing. And uh, I went to Vancouver and I'd saved a bit of money. So um, when I came to Vancouver... Plus it was I, pounds. So it was basically exactly, like double. And it was at a time when it was like $2.35 to the pound. So yeah. like I felt like I was rich. And I didn't need to work, um, and so I just carried on uh, trying to make these films, and uh, but in Vancouver, and uh, and we were all like, yeah, we just won these or nearly won these two film competitions. We can show these guys how to do it, and boy, did we get our asses handed to us. Like Vancouver <laughs> was a filmmaking city, and we entered some competitions, and it was like, oh my god, talk about being blown away by every one of the competitions. And that's so <laughs> funny because I don't even think in '05 it was. Like, at the level, obviously, that it is now, we were still sort of adolescents. Like, it was getting really busy, but you look at it now, I still think we were pretty proud of ourselves back then. Sure. When and big was... actors came and, ooh, big movie shooting downtown. You uh -huh. know, we, we still had that sort of, like, awe about it. Sure, I guess so. I mean, for me, it was all so new that, that I didn't have any context. I didn't know. Right. You know, and um, so... Um, so ultimately, yeah, we made another, you know, a couple of films with our, you know, in these these short film contests. There's millions of them in Vancouver. Great fun, great uh, way of learning, and and a great excuse to do something. It is you know? a great excuse. I yeah, agree. It when you know you've actually, only got, yeah, yeah. and we've done, I've done some stuff that I'm quite proud. of. I've done some terrible stuff as well, but you know, most it, people would never start otherwise, right? It kind of forces you to just exactly. go, go do it. And you know that within 48 hours you're going to end up with something. You know? Yeah, so might, you're not uh, precious about it. Yeah, and you sort of take that into consideration and sort of go for it. And so you know, a lot of things to be said for those. You know, and, and, and just to on that point, I think a lot of people think that those competitions are full of experts. Like, yeah. all these people must know what they're doing. Like, to your point, no. No. Often you just have a passion and, and yeah. enough will to say, I'm going to try this. I mean, so, some, there'd always be those films where, you know, they had obviously some guy, or you know, to shoot it. That Dad was a producer. <laughs> yeah, where you're like, wow, look at that. And, you know, um, um, and that was in the days as well. Where, like, nowadays, like, digital cameras are amazing. Um, and this is in the days where they were terrible. Yes. Um, so it's still when people were shooting film um, and uh, digital was just, a terrible option, but you most of the time you have to shoot on these, you know. Um, 
But um, but anyway, we did one of these, and one of the actors that we managed to rope in, who we'd met a bunch of actors down the pub one day, and um, they were like, oh, come and be in our film this weekend. And uh, they looked at one of our other films and thought it would be a good idea for some reason. Um, but it's that... surprising how many people say yes if you just ask them, <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. city especially. Yeah, so we made probably the worst film I've ever made uh, that particular weekend. <laughs> but the uh, the one of the actors, her boyfriend was like the third AD on Smallville or something. And I was like, oh, I want to work in film. Um, can you give him my number? Again, I knew nothing about film, nothing about the departments, nothing about anything. Good for you, though. Uh, yeah, and then like a week or two later, I get a phone call from someone else saying, I got your number from someone. Um, it literally you... sometimes just comes down to that. Yeah. Like, uh, I got your number from someone. Exactly. It wasn't who I gave my number to. It's somebody you didn't totally even have random. a resume. No. I had nothing. And um, so this person called and said, can you work tomorrow? And I was like, sure, what have I got to do? And they'd want well, to show up at uh, 5 a.m., I think it was, in North Vancouver. You know how many film stories start like that? Like, uh-huh. just, just show up tomorrow at this place at yeah. this time. It's like a drug deal, and you're like, all right. Yeah, and this was... This was like, talk about an eye-opening moment. Uh, this isn't a terrible story, I guess, because... Uh, but anyway, so I show up in North Vancouver at 5 a.m., and I guess they... And I'm a PA. I didn't even know what a PA is. I didn't even know that I was a PA. All I know is that I was showing up. No one had said, can you come in and PA? I didn't know what a PA was, even if they'd asked me that. So I just showed up. I, I could be touching cameras, lights, like nothing. You were n- game, nothing. I was game. I had no idea. So I show up, and... Uh, and the ALM, who I guess he was, didn't even know that at the time, said, uh, yeah, you just got to stand here and watch this line of uh, pylons until the trucks show up. And I'm like, okay, so there's a stretch of road with a bunch of pylons and I know nothing. And I stand there on my feet for like an hour and a half. Nothing's coming along. Uh, and then eventually the trucks start showing up. And it was just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Because uh, truck after truck after truck after truck. And I was like, what is going on? I didn't think it was like this. I thought it was like a truck or two and a couple of, you know. Uh, it's and like Beyonce's concert coming to town? It, sure, yeah. It was insane. And so I watched all this happen. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then I think one of the next people I met was your husband, Tony Dirk. Right. And, uh, and I guess he'd been doing it for a little while longer then. I remember saying to him, treat me like an idiot. I've got no idea what I'm doing. And he's like, treat me like an idiot. Don't be silly. Here's your radio. And I'm like, great. Uh how do I use this? You're like, no, <laughs> and I don't think like, you heard oh. me. I don't think you heard me. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, all right. I know oh, I, I sound see. quaint and British, you know. <laughs> yeah. I really uh, meant it. <laughs> but he would be the most lovely person to teach, fantastic. right? Fantastic. Well, you know, sometimes people are just dicks. Yeah. And like, just fucking time, figured out, I don't have time for you. Yeah. Why are you even here? Right? It's, like, exactly. I've heard of horror stories. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah and I've experienced some horror stories, you know. Like, and um, Tony was great, obviously. You know, he fully gave me the lay of the land. and um, He's you know, just and, as patient with me. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I ended up being a PAing on the dead zone um, for like about a month, month and a half, um, and that was basically my, uh, you know, my film school as far as how a production can be, because that's where I sort of start to get an understanding of all well, these different departments and different unions, um, right? You know, and uh, you don't touch other departments' stuff, and you know, you do your job, and um, there's like a law of the land. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, so it was great for that. And then one day, Jay Rathor, another friend of Tony's, and uh, so there's, you know, the three of us were PAing. Um, and one Which day, is production assistant, just as a reminder for anybody that didn't listen to my other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of like, I don't want to say the lowest of the low, but it would be very entry level. You know, you're, you're yeah, meant to kind of manage crowds, sweep stuff up, yeah. do menial sort of film yeah. golfering, let's yeah. say. And like, I think Tony said in the, his, in, you know, his podcast that, it was a license for all the crew to treat you like crap, you know, and uh, and you know, there's a lot of truth in that. And but then the crew that don't, um, you remember those guys, right? You, know? you always remember the nice people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
Yeah, one day Jay called me up and said, I've just been talking to this uh, this Lampop at, at Crafty. He tells me that we've got to go to the union now um, and sign up because it's so busy, they're taking people off the street. And it's like, okay, great. So me and Jay read this book over the weekend, the Lighting Handbook, you know. Um, both Wing, winging in, a prayer. Winging a prayer. We went in uh, the following morning to the union, um, gave him our resumes, of which we had made up the majority of it, um, and uh, I shouldn't be saying all of this. Well, you but, know what? Uh, <laughs> when it's that busy, though, to be honest, you don't even need a resume. Yeah, and I say made I've up. I've had friends just... in construction just move to carpentry because the hall is... So for a hall, for everyone that doesn't know, like the union, you, you know, consider the union hall, let's say, there's a list of people in the union in order of sort of seniority, right? So if there's yeah. a thousand people in lighting, let's say, yeah. you know, and you've been in it 15, 20 years, you might be in the top 100. Yeah, I think they've abolished seniority now, though. Oh, have which they? Is, okay. Which is good. It uh, is good. Yeah, yeah, because you'd get a lot of old schoolers that didn't want to work and didn't have yeah. to because they're at the top of the list. And but. that's a whole union discussion, which... We don't have enough time for sure. today. But, yeah, so when it's empty and there's no one on that list, then they go to, like, permittees, which sure. are people that are basically in the waiting room. Exactly, and that's saying, what we became. me, please. Yeah. Please, sir, can I have a job? That's my horrible <laughs> English accent. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's essentially what we became. I think we may have even been—I think there's one lower than permittee, which is, like, the reserve permittee list right. or something. But, um, but anyway, so we both sat this test, um, went home, and then that night both got calls. Can you work on X-Men or— Dead Zone or whatever. Um, and so we're straight into the lighting pool. And, and that was X-Men, the feature film. Uh, yeah, X-Men 3 at the time. So that must have been was. pretty crazy for you because you wouldn't have known what Dead Zone is. And that was a television series that yeah. ran quite a while here. Mm-hmm. Was that Anthony Michael Hall? He was. And he was as, he, he was a great guy. Like he, Everyone he, says, Tony says amazing stories on, about him On my too. very first day that, as a PA that day, I was just talking about... Um, I managed to get close to set, and he's walking by, and he says, oh, hi, uh, we haven't met. I'm Michael. Uh, I said, oh, hi, Toby. Every day from then on, without fail, morning, Toby. Like, I was a PA. So talk about remembering the guys that don't treat just the class, PAs like crap. Just class, just class. Yeah, so, yeah. you know. He's res- lovely. To- everyone, Tony yeah. says he's lovely, too. Yeah. And that was a great show for everybody. It ran yeah, quite a while. I think and- it was like seven seasons or something. We, yeah. we joined, well, I had to join them the last season, but... Um, but, uh, and, and but yeah. sorry, I no, interrupted no. you. But X Men, yeah, like this is big stuff. You like come over here. You're sort of yeah, it was like trucks in, and the next day exactly. you're hanging out on X Men. Yeah, like talk about yeah, baptism of fire for sure. You know, and and as and with the lighting thing, like um, so we both me and Jay found out three months later. We both failed the test, but by then we've been working. <laughs> you know, I would have been months. really shocked if you had yeah. passed. <laughs> like, how hard is this test? Yeah, but but by the time they told us, we we're like, yeah, okay, well, we've been working for three months, so we'll ace it now. You know, um, yeah, because uh, I think if you fail it. You have you have three months, right? Or uh, I, I can't. You I to, think I you think just got to keep taking it. And I think yeah, there is a time in between busy. that. Yeah, and that you're right. If it's busy, all yeah, bets you are probably off, have to wait before you can take it again. Because Tony did art department, same thing. He failed a couple times. Right. Okay. And then finally got in. Right. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Sure. Um, sure. Well, yeah, when it's quiet, it's really hard to get the the days. Uh, you know. Um, yes. Um, so um, yeah, no, and then. Um, one other story, I guess, as far as my beginning. Like, so my first day in the lighting department, my first call was Supernatural, season one. Season one? Season one. Oh, my um, goodness. That is a throwback. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I literally didn't know, like, one end of a light from another. I didn't know what AC is. Now, AC is just, you know, um, cable. It's just uh, like power, power cable. Yeah. Um, but they don't call it that in England, and I didn't know anything. And I remember, so I showed up in a second unit, and there's a second unit gaffer who I won't mention her name. Um and uh, she wasn't very nice. And uh, I remember saying, go and get some AC. And I was like, um... Air conditioning? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, are you serious? And I was like, 
uh, and I was like, oh, I see, right, yeah, of course. Um, and Go- she was, Google. Yeah, and she was being real bitch. And um, and then at one point she was like, uh, can you go and get me, a, get me a pepper and a 300? And I thought, oh, I know what those lights are, great. So I ran off and I got my pepper, got my 300 and put them on the sticks and the stands. And, uh, and I ran back into her and I was like, okay, here we are. And she was like, they're upside down. Like, right, yeah, <laughs> um, and then she said, you know what? I'm better off on my own. Go to main unit. I'm not dealing with this. And I was like, oh, my oh, God. I just, wanna, I just want to be a PA again. Yeah. Uh, so they sent me to main unit and uh, show up at main unit. And they're like, um, oh, what happened? Why are you over here? And I was like, well, such and such wasn't a big fan of me. And she told me to come over here. And she was like, ah. And the gaffer was like, oh, she's a bitch. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, he was like, don't stick your tongue in any light sockets and you're going to be good to go. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, from then on, it, it got better. And then it was a real, like a summer of, you know, as I say, a baptism of fire. Where now you're in lighting. Now you're in lighting. Wow. Um, learning, you know, learning as much as possible. And I loved it. I, I, I really was so grateful for the opportunity that I just didn't care. I remember working on Smallville and like I didn't even have rain gear. And it was like pissing rain and the You farm. were English and you didn't have any rain gear, Tommy no, Gorman? Yeah, it, it, rain gear is a Vancouver thing despite the English It thing. is, you're right. And uh, people were asking me, you haven't got rain gear? And I went, no, no, no. But I was so glad to be there and I didn't care. And I was soaked. I had like this big jacket. I'm just envisioning just you just like full of glee, just absolutely Yeah, drenched. running around, getting yelled at, um, making mistakes. But you're very good natured. Uh, I tried to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, and that was a time where I don't, you know, where, you know, there's some real dicks. Uh, absolutely. You know, and you, they would, you know, It can not absolutely hide that be fact. the Wild West, and people move up so high in film, uh-huh. and you're like, how the hell did they get that high? Yeah. Because they're psychotic. Totally. And you're like, this is not productive. And I don't and know if it's the, the same in all industries. I feel like film, ha- and maybe they've tightened it a bit up these days. I don't know. But it's a bit rogue. There's some rogue shit going on. Yeah. And I don't mean in terms of safety. I mean in terms of people's power and sure. and like that, just the way things are done. Yeah, I'd like to think that things have improved, uh, especially, you know, more so in the last few years, especially. Um, so I'd like to think that things have improved. But when I'd look back... I would say it has. Was, yeah. There's more checks and balances. And yeah. More about safety and living healthier. And that comes up a lot in a couple other Absolutely. episodes. Less drugs. Yeah. You know, all that. Yeah, yeah. It's not as accepted. That glory party kind of... You know, sure, sure. Cocaine, all of that stuff in the early exactly. parts of Vancouver film was rampant. Yeah, now it doesn't go down so well. It seems you would be an, you would be an outlier for sure. Yeah, you'd you'd be gone. Yeah, you know, uh, which is which is good. Um, and same for the way you treat people. You know, people are much more used to filing complaints and things actually. Will I would happen say the union's it. done a better job now of really yeah. being involved in that. Sure. In the past, maybe five years. Sure. Yeah. People feel more just safe to go, especially with the whole Me Too movement too. Exactly. I think there's way more boots on the ground now with that, yeah. which is great. Totally. And it's I think long that, overdue. Yeah, and a lot of these big companies like Warner Brothers and stuff, they don't want any of this stuff. Uh, no. On their, you know, so, um, so they nip it in the bud. And, yeah, which uh, is great. Which is great, yeah. So it feels like a, you know. But back then. <laughs> yeah, back then it wasn't, Toby like was that. being screamed at. <laughs> yeah, completely. So you're, and, so you're, uh, it's what you're like in the midst of these big shows. You're, where are you living? So I was living downtown Vancouver. I was like 27 years old. Um, my rent was 600 bucks a month, and oh uh, you know, so I could work two days and pay my rent. Work three days, and my month was covered. Um, what did you think uh, of the city? Uh, it was, I loved it. You know, as like I said, I left a job I hated. I was kind of done with London. London's amazing in the right uh, context when you live in the right place. Um, uh, but I was done with it, and uh, so I feel it was like you amazing. need money to live in London. You do need money, and you need money to, enjoy to live it. in Vancouver now. It's true, you're right. <laughs> but uh, back then, it felt like I had no responsibilities, and it felt like uh, you know I just didn't need to do a but lot. But I think to because it's more urban in London, you really want a better quality of life. 
you're not around as much tree sure, and greenery, yeah. so you need to be in a nicer neighborhood. Yeah. Where there's more like Holland Park or exactly. Chelsea, where there's just a bit more of that quality of life in the city. Yeah. Or I'll in Vancouver, you can get to that pretty quickly, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, exactly. Vancouver is just there. You're, you're where generally where you live is nice, right? Uh, and that's why you know, and that's one of the things I fell in love with, which is why I'm still living in an expensive area because I don't want to move out, but I right. but affording it's hard. But anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, that's basically what I was doing, and I, and so I was working in lighting, and I was shooting anything and everything I possibly could. I forget when I really started shooting shorts for other people, but um, I guess because basically what happened and what it was a quite a uh, a significant thing to happen for me was that so I had this year's work permit uh, and it expired so I was in the middle of doing all this amazing work working on X-Men and blah 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 uh, and all of a sudden done can't work in Canada anymore can't renew it can't do anything um, so that was but a it's big... the commonwealth for god's sake oh I know did you the call the of, queen the amount of times I've heard that and I'm like it doesn't mean anything uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem to mean anything it means something to Buckingham Palace that's yeah, about it yeah the queen's on this money which yeah. you know, she enjoys uh, it yeah yeah <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, so that happened. So I couldn't work anymore. Now, um, I'd still had some of my web design contacts. And so I was able to sort of, um, I was able to stay on in Canada as a tourist. And I was, this is, you know, uh, I'm sure, you know, the authorities wouldn't be happy about this. But anyway, I was able to make ends meet by doing remote web design, you know, for English I companies. I feel like the statute of limitations on that is probably passed. And, and you know, and like, I, you couldn't, I couldn't be taxed on what I was making. I say good luck, is, so. Revenue Canada. Yeah. And, good luck. And like I said, like, you know, I, I needed like a thousand bucks max to pay my way in those days. So That's I, a nice thing when it, you don't need much to get by when yeah, you're younger, right? that's it. And so, you know, I'd do a couple of web design projects and I'd be done for the for the month, you know. So I was able to stay as a, stu- as a tourist and... Um, but not work in film. And so that basically pushed me into the indie world a lot more. Like I was, you know, I started shooting shorts for other people. You know, some idiot called me up who I'd, I had been lamping on something and he was like, do you DP? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I DP. Uh, I and he's like, it. great, can you shoot our short this week? And I'm like, yeah, totally. I didn't DP other than shooting my own things, you know. Um, yeah, but the nice thing with indies and these like, you know, side projects is you can jump Three categories. Yeah, exactly. And they, they needed but somebody someone. has to do it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I did that. And at the same time, this is, I say, people were still shooting film. And I really wanted to show that I really wanted to get hired as a, you know, as a DP in whatever level. So I decided to make a short um, uh, on film, which I directed and shot and a lot, learnt, lunch, uh, learnt a lot from that. Um, that was on 16 mil. So that's interesting that you kind of were in lighting, but you knew now you wanted to sort of evolve. Like that, that shift of. You were in the electrics department. Yeah, or lighting. I mean, I guess I always—I'm probably one of those millions of people that initially just wanted to direct. You know, I wanted to write and direct my. You're own right. Stuff. Everyone says that. Yeah. Like so many even people that have come in here. But then you get. But for me, like I'd got to get to set, and I didn't really know what a DP was, and and I had actually for one of these films I didn't make in England, I had actually hired a DP, so I must have known enough to have done that. But I didn't really know what they did and how the the, direct, the role of the director and the role of the DP, you know, where those lines were. Well, let's get into that right now. That's sure. a great segue because I have that written down in my notes that yeah, yeah. nobody does know what a cinematographer or director of photography, which is the same term uh-huh. or two yeah. terms for the same person. What do they do? It's funny how the, everybody knows what the director does. Yeah, but you know what? And I would even argue they don't really know what no, they do. exactly. They, they think just know the director the does more. Like they, yeah. Well, you know, so they tell, think, tell, kind of let's just explain everybody in a rudimentary way. Okay, I'll um, try. What, what those two things are and why they're different, but how they work together. Sure, sure. So a director obviously is, um, you know, I'll make the distinction at first, though, between, say, film and TV. Because with TV, 
I'll get to that, I guess. But um, but with let's talk about film specifically at first, because with a with an individual film, whether it's like a ninety minute TV movie or a feature film or whatever, um, the director obviously is the most important person, and they are um, they ultimately work with all the departments. So with the production designer, with the cinematographer, uh, with wardrobe, um, everything um, in prep. Um, you know, and they're basically developing the script, working out where they're going to shoot it. So they're working with all these departments and, and giving all these sort of instruction and, and a place to spring from for all these all these different departments. And they're ultimately, um, uh, you know, responsible for for all the for the direction that everything's going to go in and what they ultimately want to end up with. They're not doing those jobs, but they know that they want. You know, they might say that they want this certain you know a certain look from the wardrobe or the you know the. So like translating or, uh, that vision. Yeah, across and then, the department heads. Sure, and so the props person might be like, okay, great, and they run off and get a, you know because they know what. Props like you did with the light, you're like, look what I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this old bookcase. No, yeah, okay. That, that bookcase is upside down. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> um, but um, uh, so uh, yeah. So the director obviously is the is the sort of governor of of the project, and 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 you know makes all those creative decisions. Now. Um, a cinematographer is is uh, you know one of these people that the director is collaborating with, and, and a cinematographer is basically in charge of um, the camera and the lighting and, and everything to do with that. So um, they might be you know selecting the, the particular camera that you're using, the lenses that you're using, uh, any special equipment that you might need, um, and your you know and with the director you work out a visual style and a visual language that you want to approach the project with, um, and um, and uh, you know then you. Depending on the locations, you work out, you know, the lighting that you need, and and, you're, and in prep, you're always, you know, dealing with a schedule and when you're going to shoot what and how much time you need to do certain things, and um, and, and the mood, and the, and the mood and the tone, uh, and also, you know, how a director likes to shoot. You know, like every director is different, and um, you know, some are very technical, uh, and they'll know exactly what focal length lens they want to be on because maybe they come from camera maybe they come from camera and maybe they just know because they've been doing it long enough other directors may not have a clue um, be like you know just sort of they're more directing more, the people. Yeah, and they might describe the visuals in, in more abstract terms that you then interpret, you know, and then there's right. everything in between. Um, so um, I feel like I'm randomly going around. No, no, that's a, good. I think uh, that's that's the great that's a great start. And I also wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of directors and DPs or cinematographers pair up and stay together. It's like a it's like a, a marriage of sure. sorts because you really work well together. Yeah. Like I always think of the Coen Brothers films, sure, which have a very great you know interesting look. And Roger Deakins, I think, is the the DP yep. for most of them. That's right. Um, and he's like the only cinematographer I really know because I can I see his stuff and I'm like in love with his work. Yeah, he's my Sicario. Yeah. Sicario, he did which. I mean, you can look at that film on silent and just watch it. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, it's a real art of, like, not being afraid of just having someone's silhouette. Sure. Right? Yeah. Of, like, bold things that you don't think are bold until uh-huh. you watch, like, shitty American yeah. dramas and you go, oh, my God, it's just one light or... Yeah. You, like, you don't even think about it sure. until you see, like... Like a, a true artist. Sure, and Roger Deakins is that. You know, he's my, he's always been my favorite cinematographer. He's a true master of what he does. He really and, is. Uh, I'm a big fan, and I've studied. His and work. I'm not even knowledgeable about it, but you just know. Yeah, that's interesting. To I think know, he did Blade yeah. Runner too, the he new did. one, 2049. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, they're just mind blowing. There's yeah. such an art to that. It's true, uh, but at the same time, they're so it's also naturally motivated. You know, it's not like it, do- yeah. it doesn't feel like you know it doesn't feel like he's done much. It just looks fantastic, and and you know he's just got this toolkit of. It's just his his paintbrush that, uh, that he's put on yeah, the film, right? Yeah, he's yeah he's uh, he's obviously the one of the best cinematographers in the world. And I don't think he's reason, ever yeah. won an Oscar. 
He won for Blade Runner finally. Okay. But it was, it was that was his like, like a, 14th nomination. That was a dry spell and just like obscene how yeah, long it yeah, took. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I never put too much on that. You know, it's like Scorsese didn't win forever, did he? And then he won for Departed, which right. we wouldn't say is better than Goodfellas. But, uh, no. You know, so whatever. I know they tip the hat eventually. Right. <laughs> Getting up there, <laughs> yeah. Deacons. <laughs> yeah. Better right, give you something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, I think that's like a great way to describe it. The director and the cinematographer are this pairing. I just wanted to clarify that yeah. for people because yeah, it's, and it does doesn't get enough justice, I don't think. Sure, I'm and, understanding. And there's directors that I've worked with a lot, you know, in the same sort of. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't describe it as Coen Brothers Deacons, but um, yeah, you know, there's definitely directors that uh, I've worked with a lot, and they'll, you know, they they always try and work with, you know, the same people if they if they enjoy working with them, and you know that you can, you know you have a shorthand, and that because um, sometimes you know because directors and DPs can can fight, you know, there's there's plenty of directors that I'm like I'm not going to work with that person again. Um, because, you know, creatively you could just be at other ends of Yeah, the... you have to have synergy. Yeah, that's right. Because they are so codependent in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Right? They, they are. And so many of, you know, so many things of what I do and that I try and push for does have to ultimately be director-driven because you can't, you know, I might say, uh, you know, I want to cover a scene in a certain way. Um, but unless the director's behind it, you can't necessarily, it's not necessarily going to work because they've got to, you know, they're, they're managing that whole process ultimately. Or and, capturing a certain emotion on a certain angle of the actor. Uh-huh. And what you want might not work visually. It might be beautiful, but it might not sure. be what they want to portray, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, this sounds really arty and wanky, but I always try and be a filmmaker before a cinematographer. I never, I hate the idea of saying no to a director. I, I, I hate the idea of the photography stopping the film being as good as it can be just for the sake of a pretty image, you know? Like, Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's easy to do that. You're like, oh, no, I don't want to have to, you know, shoot from this angle. But, you know... It's got to weigh everything up, and if it makes the film better, most people aren't going to know that, uh, yeah. that it kills you. It's very collaborative, <laughs> right? A film yeah. set is very collaborative. It, um, yeah, immensely collaborative, like the most collaborative thing that I can think of. For like, and I'm sure there's many other things, but so so I took you off your main kind of story that you were going on, so I'm going to bring it back. Okay. But you started kind of doing cinematography on some indies. Yeah. Right? So that was your foray out of lighting and sort of into that Yeah, and, and it pushed me, like not being able to work in, in Union Land, it pushed me yeah, in, into indies. And yeah, so I, and I was just doing anything and everything, like freebies, like I've done so many freebies. That is the even. recurring theme. Yeah. and For, for and, film careers. And it's, 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 it's a, you know, an interesting subject because, you know, there's obviously a line, you, people shouldn't take advantage of you, and, and they do, you know, like there's, you know, certain producers, I remember there's one, that, you know, her thing would be $50 a day uh, for, you know, as a per diem, well not per diem, but as a, what's it called, honorarium for for the crew. That never changed, you know, like two years later, I'm like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. It was fine when it was that little short, but now this yes. is a feature film and I cannot do it for $50 a day, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, but, so it's difficult because, but at the same time, there is a, point where like I was learning so much I wanted to shoot these things I didn't you know if someone has something to shoot I wanted to be doing it I didn't care if I was getting paid or not and if you had the time and freedom I say go for it yeah absolutely and it was a time when I did um and uh, so I don't regret any of those things um and then obviously there's a point where you have to start fighting for what you're worth when the project has the money for it um but so often you know there's there's people like me and Jay and Tony that want to make a movie and I haven't got any money uh and but it's genuine passion project and you don't want to be like oh no you've got to find my yeah Yes. You know, well, uh, and sometimes it comes back in spades. Tony's worked on a couple um, where he was production designing, and like he jokes, you know, I, I'd have no chance of doing that in the union. Right. I'm like 60 or something. Right. And then it goes on to win like f- multiple film festivals, and uh-huh. they're promoting the hell out of it. And it's like, thank God you put your all into it. Yeah. Even though literally for some of those indies, we were like scraping by on paychecks. Sure. But I fully supported him because I said, you know what, this is important. Mm-hmm. I get that it's important. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the money. 
that's I, really good right? and brave at this time of life as well because you know this was at a time when I didn't have you know I wasn't married with kids and you know so um, that's it was a sacrifice that, it yeah, is but yeah. that's part of your creative journey yeah for sure it doesn't just come while you're sitting on your ass watching TV no and and so as like I said I just shoot everything like and if there's anything else to say to people who want to you know shoot is just shoot everything you possibly can if you can you know um but again you always have to bear in mind where that line is with uh, you know being taken advantage of if it genuinely is worth it for you do it um and if you're not being exploited and you're not like creating a situation that people think is normal uh you know and screwing over the next guy who needs to get paid you know so it's, it, and it sometimes is a- it's one person you meet from that show that springboards you like you see yeah. a phone call into the next into the next you 100%. make one impression 100%. and that that woman or man is like hey I have something else. Yeah. If I had a good enough memory, I'm sure I could chart an, that exact phone call between every single project, however small it was. However, you know, there was always something. Just where, that string that goes yeah, through. You know, like that first guy that called me up to say, um, hey, do you DP? You know, I, I think I'd been lamping for free on some short that he was on as well. You could have said no. But yeah. you didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it was that call from working as a freebie lamp op that, you know, gave me the opportunity to actually shoot something. And, and all the time you're shooting stuff, you're, you're putting it on a reel. And the reel, you know, my first reels were terrible, but you slowly improve them as you get new footage. And so uh, for a while there, my whole thing was, if I get one shot for a reel, it's worth it. Um, yes. And uh, so, yeah, so learning as much as possible. Um, and like I said, like uh, importantly for me, I think, was oh, I wasn't able to work in the union, so it pushed me to do all these things, um, which is really good. Now, so I tried to make it work just to continue my life story here. It wouldn't go on for that this long. This is why we're here. Don't <laughs> apologize for explaining it. Otherwise, it would just be me talking to myself. It'd be the worst podcast ever. <laughs> Um, so um, so British <laughs> very but, British problems how do yeah, I talk about myself yeah, yeah. without talking about myself <laughs> but so after a while in, of trying to make it work as a tourist in Vancouver I realized this is stupid I can't live like this I had no medical coverage of any sort no you know I was fully you know under the radar and I was like this is, this is stupid I can't do this so I just bit the bullet and said right I've got to move back to England um, so, moved back to England. I was uh, so unhappy about this. And what year was that? This was 2007. Okay. And uh, I got a uh, I got a job through a friend of mine that I used to work with at the cell phone company, O2, who was at the BBC. And just, and he just happened to call me, and I've been back a week. Broke, homeless, didn't know what I was going to do. Dejected. Depressed. Just wanted to be in Vancouver making films. And uh, and he called, and he was like, I'm working at the BBC at the, in their cell phone thing. Uh, there's a job going. Do you want it? And I was like, No, 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 no. I don't do <laughs> like, that You're like, you know how I anymore. said yes in Vancouver. I say no. In yeah. England. I was like, No, I don't do that anymore. I'm not interested. <laughs> hung up. And then about five seconds later, I'm thinking, What am I talking about? I'm broke, homeless. I've no idea what I'm doing. And you know what's funny? When I moved to England, like in whatever 2000 or 99, I wanted to work at the BBC. So how ironic. Sure. That was like the creme de la creme of going to the UK and being like, I, right. I want to work at the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it was because it was the cell phone thing, like you know, and it was video content that, that you know. But, but I um, hear you. It's no X Men. No, no. And so, but I called him back. I was like, you know what? Yes, of course, I want the job. Yes, please. So, um, so I got the job at the BBC. 
um, which again was working in the office doing cell phone stuff. And guess what? I fucking hated it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? I wasn't doing any work. I'd do my work in the half hour that I needed, spread it out, and the rest of the time I was. So basically, doing... England was a learning sabbatical. Uh, well, at yeah, desks. And, well, kind of. So that was like a three month contract. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm not going to get a place to live until I have somewhere to work. And so I got this job, and then I got, uh, you know, I found a place to live, and it was like 750 pounds. A, a, a month um, and it was sharing a house with three other guys that I didn't know and I had this tiny bedroom and it was just big enough for a double bed just I couldn't walk around the bed um, and uh, and it was in Shepherd's Bush and uh, I was just like depressed it was like shit and uh, anyway uh, that was only a two month uh, thing this is a total digression now but you mentioned Holland Park earlier so I have to bring it up again um, and uh and that was a two-month thing that I was staying in that place, and then I had to move. And uh, the BBC had this internal classifieds ad thing, and so I went on that little site, and this place came up, and it said, £600 a month, Holland Park. And I thought, that can't be true. It must be a week. That's ridiculous. But I called them up, and they were like, oh, um, we're surprised to get a call. We only put the ad on, like, five minutes ago. And I was like, okay, anyway. Went straight down there, and there was this old lady who must have been, like, 95 uh, lived in this uh, house in Holland Park, right opposite Holland Park tube station. For those that don't know, Holland Park is the pimp daddy of all areas. Uh, it's right next to, well, Holland Park. It's and like Shaughnessy. Park. It's, uh, yeah. Green, lush. Yeah. Celebrities insane. live like, there. Richard Branson's there around the corner. Yeah. And uh, But she was, like I say, she was old. She didn't like going upstairs anymore. And upstairs was um, was a basically a fully furnished apartment. I had a huge bedroom, which you could fit like six double beds in. Is this the start to Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I had a living room of the same size, kitchen and bathroom. And and I was like, so £600 a month. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll take it. She was probably like, I'm going to go really high. <laughs> yeah, they right? didn't realize. She didn't realize. Um, yeah, and, uh, and, you know, people come around and be like, shut up. Yeah. You know, this is not where you're living. Do you have a drug price. lab in the basement? Like, what's going on? Yeah, it was like, um, it was like you know, the universe saying, you can be here. Here you go. Have this amazing place for not well, very much money. Well, and it was on money. five minutes. I totally believe in that stuff. Synchronicity. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, so it was amazing. Uh, and I loved living there. Uh, and like uh, I say, hello. like, yeah, I could walk, you know, if I had, you know, and I was, um, so I was always trying to still hustle for short films or whatever jobs I could get. And anyway, ultimately what I did in that period, again, well, I thought, oh, with all my experience in lighting, I'll go back to England and I'll work in, in lighting on big features like James Bond and stuff. But no, it turns out you need to be uh, a certified electrician to work in the lighting department. So um, a little higher standards over there yeah, in the UK. Yeah, and it was going to be Doing like it the right six way. months. And I was like, oh, man, I can't do that. So that pushed me more again into... A certified into electrician, shoot. that's yeah. nuts. It was, like, it was something like a, it was like a six-month apprenticeship or like a £4,000 lighting course or electrics course, wow. uh, which n- neither of those were appealing or possible. Um, so, uh, again, that just pushed me into, um, you know, shooting indies, uh, find, trying to find little indies and shorts and meeting people that were like that. And um, and so, ultimately, I ended up being at the BBC, I think, for six months in the end. Um, uh, and basically, I was starting to get other jobs, like shooting little commercials for, like, terrible companies and... Uh, and anything I could take, like I say, and um, and uh, con- continuing to build a reel, and um, and I've got to say that working in England, like working with like European cinematographers, like I'd still work in lighting, I'd still like be a gaffer for like one of the most important 
collaborations was working with this uh, cinematographer called uh, Bet Rurich, who's um, she's a Spanish cinematographer, and her work's beautiful. And uh, when they, you know they needed, she needed a gaffer, and I, I forget I was on some website, you know, so you can find these jobs. And um, and I was looking at her work, saying, "Wow, this is amazing!" And, and anyway, and it was a real working with her was one of those light bulb moments where it's like, "Wow!" I thought it's like, "Oh, I thought I knew how to light from working in Canada, but shit, this is." actual Next good level. lighting uh, and so I learned loads from her and I only did this short for a week had a great time uh, and I still bring her up you know t- 12 years later um, well everybody has those sort of yeah, yeah. light bulb me- or even just a mentor that sure yeah yeah they um, never forget so I'm actually very I was very grateful for my time in England because um, that really helped me develop as a as a you know a cinematographer and again I shot a million freebies um, I sh- you know I shot my first officially would have been my first uh, feature film, which was the budget was twenty thousand pounds, which is about thirty thousand. About Canadian. seventy million in Canadian dollar. <laughs> no, it's, it's barely anything. I think I was. Well, I think I, I think I was getting like four hundred pounds a week or something. Like it was. You know. I still think you know. I know Hollywood blockbusters, but I I just budget doesn't make a good story. It's, it's very true. You can't hide behind a shitty story. No, you're And right. I would say European cinema, like I Stephen Merchant <laughs> or somebody said, it would be so great if we had American budgets with. With yeah, European yeah. stories, sure. It's a, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. With this particular project, it was also a shitty story okay. as well as a shitty budget. <laughs> Never mind. And everything was <laughs> shitty about it. Uh, again, learned so much. Except your education on it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the things that when you if you look at my IMDb, I think like uh, the trailer for this still comes up. And if I could remove anything from my history, it would be that. Yeah. Um, but um, it'll keep you humble when you're like a Hollywood star yeah, cinematographer. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, learned so much, you know, and um, uh, and ultimately, eventually, and then uh, while I so I left the BBC and I was just working freelance shooting, like you know, say like these little commercials and whatnot. Um, uh, met my wife uh, during that time. Uh, she was um, I was shooting for this um, Indian um, producer who did, as I say, terrible commercials, and and uh, he told me to show up one day. He said. Uh, just show up on Sunday at this address at one thirty in the afternoon. And You're I was like, like, I've done this before. And I, what is it? What um, what is it? I'm shooting. And he's like, Are oh, there going to be it? pylons there? Oh yeah, right, <laughs> exactly, yeah. And uh, he was like, I'll oh, just show up. I was like, What, what was the project? He's like, Just just show up one thirty. And I was like, oh, What is this? So I show up on a Sunday at one thirty. Last thing I wanted to be doing, and it was the um, Bangladesh Catering Association Awards, which is like the the Oscars for for Indian, well, for Bangladeshi catering, I guess. And uh, and uh, I had to shoot behind-the-scenes interviews with, um, like, the people who'd won. And my future wife was the one asking the questions. And, Amazing. Uh, so there's a few stories from, from that. Um, but, uh, yeah, ultimately that's how we met. Uh, and then anyway, after that, um, my residency came through because I'd applied. I forgot to mention that. I'd nice. applied for permanent residency. So in 2009, my residency came through and I could move back to Canada. And so I did just that. And she was game? Uh, she was game. It was kind of a you know a few stepping stones to bringing her over. I brought her over to Vancouver in August, and we stayed in um, English Bay for three weeks. English Bay, very yeah, fitting for exactly. her. So, Start her with the English Yes, yeah, stunning weather every day, beach life. Yeah, this is Vancouver all the time, honey. You should always come visit Vancouver in the summer and make I, your decisions. Yeah, I didn't mention that summer part. It just made it look as if it was like that the whole <laughs> because time. Because then for the, re- the other ten months, <laughs> yeah. you're like, but we have June and July and August. <laughs> Not even June. We have July and a bit of August. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so uh, yeah, and I so I, and I think even when I came back, I thought I'll start working in the union again, but but it wasn't as busy as um, when I left, and so uh, I couldn't get any of those union days. I was still a permittee, and I, I couldn't get any of those jobs. So um, I would be lamping on um, like movies of the week for like a pittance, um, and basically making ends meet with that and um and movies of the week are just that's a whole other world it is yeah they're all those names like confined yes and exactly. like and like them, the yeah. stepmother next door yes right yeah they're, they're sort of like you know you could swap a few words around and come up with another title like you know they're not very you could make like a there. movie of the week generator title generator absolutely i think they do I just throw eight in and yeah. yeah yeah it's amazingly vague yeah um uh, yeah, so I was doing that whilst trying to obviously still shooting everything for free and trying to shoot anything I could and get paid. And basically what ended up happening was over a period of time, uh, I was able to work in lighting less and be shooting more. Um, and at some point, I guess I stopped working in lighting, which probably wasn't even that long ago. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and then basically my projects have slowly got better and better. Um, you they know, sure have. My first, my first. Let's talk of, about that. Yeah, my first real break was here was was getting the Indian movie, Punjabi film Mirza, um, which was um, which was a feature. Which is a feature, uh, and so I ended up shooting three Indian movies, and it was kind of bizarre because um, they they are uh, how they use they're very different animals. Like the way they spend their money is completely different. Um, and they're able to get an immense amount for the money that they spend. Um, Do we still have as many of those here? I feel like that was like a, kind of a, a, a season where they Maybe. where all those Bollywood and kind of Indian movies came. I don't know why. Yeah, I think I think Maybe a lot it's too of them, expensive now. There's there's trends within Indian cinema as well. Like right. so, you know, seeing Vancouver was definitely a thing for a while. And and Maybe and, and, and I was now. working. There's an important distinction, I guess, between Bollywood, which is your Hindi movies, and that's your big industry that everyone knows of. Um, and then there's uh, the Punjabi okay. industry. So it's a different language, right. a much smaller industry, much uh, shorter history, I believe, of, of movies. Um, but still very different from here, obviously. Uh, yeah. Um, and um, so that was my first job. I was married by that point. Um, and that was my first feature. And it was 35 days, I think, shooting days. It was about a million dollars. They didn't want it to be. They wanted it to be, well, like eight or nine, but it became a million dollars, eight or nine hundred thousand. Because of your fees. Um, <laughs> definitely not because of my fees. Um, uh, and uh, that was kind of awesome because the weird thing with those is that they all show theatrically around the world. So I was able to go and see all of those movies at the Cineplex Odeon. Uh, my parents went to see them in England. Um, so it was, it was really weird because it was kind of small. Global status. Yeah, but with this strange global status. And, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they were kind of great. So I did this first one, Mirza, and um, I wasn't thinking about Indian cinema at all. I was purely thinking about it from... Advancing you know, your career. Well, and, and also just, you know, what I knew was Hollywood style and stuff. Right. And so, and I just came to it with that. And... Um, uh, kind of made a bit of a ripple, I guess, because I think the films up to that point weren't particularly good looking, and um, and because of, I think because of my lighting background, like I remember one of the first uh, we had to, we were shooting on the Watchmen set, um, 
which was um, which is still just as an aside, it's still here, right? It's evolved I think so. on Green Drive. Yeah, that's right. That's the one. Green Crossing. Yeah, I haven't been to it for years. Well, but it was yeah. condemned for a while, right? Because there was they... actually a fire the day that we were shooting. So this was our first day of the shoot, I believe. Oh, no, I think we'd done one day before that. Um, and then so it's the it's big exterior street set. So you've got a couple of city blocks. Um, it's still called the. I feel like people still call it the Watchman set. Yeah, and, and that it, was one film. It was like crumbling when we were on it, um, but it was enough to look at. Um, but uh, we were shooting this night exterior fight scene, um, and uh, they wanted to shoot. The director wanted to shoot everything at 120 frames a second, which is very quite slow motion. And when you do that, you need a lot of light. Um, and uh, this there's this, this exterior street set. Uh, literally, which is like, you know, I think it's a city block long with a, you know, you've got a couple of streets. Looks like New York, kind of. Yeah, yeah. and not a single light actually exists there other than what the movie production brings. So all the street lamps, all the shop windows, uh, anything um, had to be brought in by the production. Now, my grip and electrics crew was three people, uh, like a gaffer slash Jenny Op and two guys. And we had this night exterior to shoot, and... um, we, uh, I'm still amazed what we did because there were literally four of us and before we could get into the location there was a fire so and we'd planned the day like I'd said it's going to take us four hours like to from light. another shoot um, or just a random fire uh, a, a random fire and uh, and, and I'd, I'd said look there's only four three, three lighting people uh, it's going to take four hours to light and I'd ordered like a couple of um, construction cranes for each side and some lights on those and I knew we had to rig those and we had to light you know we had to bulb the street lights we I don't think people think Every, about that. They assume it's all just ambient there, light. Yeah, but it's like not. There would not be a, a shred of light in that place if we'd not put those lights in. And um, and then so on that morning there's a fire. So we can and so we'd planned it four hours before it was going to be dark. We'd have four hours to light in the daylight. It would get dark and we'd shoot. We couldn't get in until uh, it was dark because of this fire. We finally got in, and. Uh, uh, anyway, it, sure enough, it took four hours. I myself was running up and down the street with lamps and putting them in uh, shop windows, and I'd tell the electrics, I put a light in there, it needs power. And then, and uh, and um, anyway, and uh, we pulled it off, and, um, you know, it's still some of the stuff I'm the most proud of in some regards. It was, like, pretty epic, um, you know, Hollywood-style stuff. Uh, and I think without a lighting background, I don't think I could have done that. Yes. Um, uh, but I knew exactly what we needed um uh and even these days i wouldn't be as confident saying that because i don't work in lighting anymore and things have changed so much um but um uh but anyway yeah that was um so yeah that was a a really great project and i really got to you know flex my muscles and do some cool looking stuff um and uh i think and i i haven't done a new showreel forever and it's still probably the thing that's most prevalent on my existing show i think i watched it there's lots of rain or like, oh, is there you, lots the of... Real, the, watch the real, don't watch the movie. The movie no, not the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but from that, I ended up uh, winning Best Cinematography at the Punjabi Film Awards, um, which was uh, kind of strange. No one told me this. I got a phone call from an Indian friend. I just saw you win this thing on TV. And, and I was like, what? No one told me. And he's like, yeah, some guy went and picked up your award. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even... That's weird. So I've never seen that award. You've um, never seen the award? You don't no. have it? And then, well, then, and then on the strength of that, I got another Indian movie straight away. This one was all in Canada. Um, and uh, then I got another Indian movie um, based on that. Um, and uh, that one was um, half in Vancouver and half in India. So we shot for like, you know, 30 odd days in Vancouver. Uh, and then I had to go to India to shoot. And, Have you um, ever been? Never been. Um, and uh, the producer also arranged for me to shoot another film straight after that one. 
um, in India. So I ended up going to India for, it was something like, I think it was 48 days. Did your wife go? No. And we had just had our first baby. Oh, so my goodness. He was, this is all so familiar. Yeah. So he was like five months or something. I think I still have some PTSD from those days. Probably. It'll probably never go away. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so I fully it was out and um and uh so I shot these you know the rest of this movie and uh this whole other movie uh without a single day off. It was 47 days. They don't take days off in India. And uh Why would you? No, I don't know. And and can't get things done when you take a day off, Toby. Oh god, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um but in, in a way, it was good because, you know, I, my family wasn't there. So it was like, yeah, just get it done. They're probably like, these Canadians are so weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they want days off. Yeah, I know. They were. They were literally there. Well, because I, you know. I can just imagine how hard people work in India. It's like obscene. Yeah. And like some of the, you know, the lamp ops were getting like, were getting $7 a day and they would work like 20 hours. They'd be oh sleeping on sex. I had no choice. It no. was like, you know, real, really... That's when and, you are happy for unions. Yeah, and right? I was I remember getting into arguments with producers because I'd hang out with the lamp ops. They were my guys. Like, I was, you know, I had a lot of in common anyway. And uh, they were great guys. And, um, you know, uh, and uh, so I'd be hanging out with them and the producer would be like, you can't talk to those guys because of the whole, um, you know, class system and everything. Oh, and, yeah, you know, right. and who, who gets treated like shit and who doesn't. Um, but I was not having any of that. Um and uh, anyway, some uh, interesting times. And the, the biggest difference is that time is not a premium over there. Like um, here, time is everything. Like all the days are so, you know, rigorously scheduled so that you can get your day uh, um, and not spend too much money. Whereas their time obviously doesn't cost any money. And um, so they spend it very differently. Um, but they're able to get immense amount for their budget somehow, like as far as their locations and everything. And um, so, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. The third film I did, uh, they kind of screwed me over. I didn't get paid. Well, I did eventually get paid, but I had to go on this social media tirade uh, in order oh, to get my last paycheck off them. And um, uh, so I'd kind of was done with those guys for a while. Uh, so when did so. you move into kind of all this Hallmark and Lifetime stuff? Because I feel like that was a big leap for you. Yeah, And yeah. for men, you know, let's kind of wrap it up and get into the, I would love to end on a, sure. on your high note of... Yeah, yeah. Riverdale. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, so um, so I was doing those movies, and, uh, and and then I was doing other commercials and stuff uh, here, but, you know, slightly better ones by that point, and so I was making ends meet with all with, with doing that. Um, and then um, uh, I forget what it was, but it, it was somebody that I'd shot a short for um, who is now a, a high-powered executive producer, making a series for Hallmark. Um, but at the time, I think, you know, he's, he's younger than me. He's incredibly talented and smart guy. But I shot short for him, four days. Um, I was paid like 100 bucks a day honorarium. Um, it was great. Uh, again, that's another one I'm quite proud of. Um, and uh, then he got a job. He was like assistant production manager or something. Or, you know, he was, I forget what he was doing. Like he was production manager, I think, on... Um, some MOWs. There's like a slate of seven MOWs. Which is movie of the week. Movie of the week um, for a local company called Odyssey. Um, and uh, I think they had a DP lined up for all of them, but um, something had happened. And uh, they, uh, anyway, basically, one it, uh, so uh, this guy, Matt Drake, who many people listening to this may know, he uh, gave my reel to the director and a few other reels. And uh, the director liked my reel. And uh, so that's how I got my first TV movie. And that was um, 12 Days. Um, it was called, uh, what was it called? Text to Kill is what it was called. Uh, text? Text to Kill about, a, you know, a cyber attacker. <laughs> um, 
and it had uh, it had Dina Myers from Starship Troopers. I don't yes. know that. Yeah, uh, which for me was like, oh my god, I fit the big time. Someone from Starship. I love Starship Troopers. Um, so uh, yeah, and uh, and that was a whole. I felt like I almost had to start from scratch in hindsight, and now I know that I didn't really. But um, I, you know, coming from doing these thirty-five, forty-odd day. Um, uh, you know, Indian movies where they didn't care about time. Now I had 12 days shooting like, you know, nine or 10 pages. Of and, script. Uh, of script. Which is a per lot. Per day, which is a lot. What's um, an average? Three well, it or depends. four? N- well, I, I'd say it depends, you know, but on like the big series like Riverdale and stuff, uh, you know, it, it tends to be around sort of five, five or six. Um, sometimes less, sometimes more, depending. But that's an average, so. Yeah, and, um, but, you know, obviously the lower the budget, the less days and the more you've got to shoot in the time. And, um, yeah, so I was doing, uh, so that led on, you know, I, I did a string of those, really. I did, um, I don't know, four or five of those. Uh, and then I guess I say like. Did you have thing, to simplify your approach um, based on time and yeah, and also not to slag it, but what it was. Um, you know, it's not a big artistic yeah. endeavor. It's about the story. And- yeah, it's funny with these movies because yeah, I just did. You know, I still do them, and um, I just did one um, only this year, like in. Um, forget when it was but um i think it was this year 2019 maybe it was last year That's this year. yeah it was last year that i did this but uh i still try and give them everything um and try as you might you can't escape what they are um it seems and yeah I'm it's sure not that, it's not an insult it is what it is yeah yeah the way soap operas are what they are yeah and, and they that's what people want you know and, and the creative producers will make them that if you're trying to make it artistic they don't want it um obviously i'm always trying to do as much as i can within the realms but i know what i'm delivering with those things but like i say, the one last year i gave it everything i chose like i own some equipment now and i, I wanted to use an 80s one and i didn't want to use my lenses so i chose not to rent the lenses and not make that money so i could use older lenses um and just really gave myself to it um but it's still a cheesy yeah. lifetime movie that everyone will slag online you know uh, <laughs> um, but um, but yeah I did have to simplify my I mean sorry I'm getting text here um, uh, David Tennis anyway we'll cut that out <laughs> we'll don't cut worry that out. Um, uh, where was I um, well I was going to say one thing too like Tony had worked on Supernatural and Lightning for so long uh-huh. and then when he was sort of trying to get into you know other stuff he took some commercials uh-huh. and I think one was for like Hootsuite or something and it was in a cafe Right. and he's doing all this lighting and the guy's like uh, can you just tone it down because I think he'd put Supernatural onto this thing so it was like moody and dark right, and right. shadows and the guy's like it's just a Hootsuite commercial in a cafe like <laughs> you don't need you could just throw up two lights and like yeah, back yeah. up and he was like oh you're right <laughs> but I think you get in that world of what you're working on and that's the the Supernatural lighting was what he had in his mind sure. but he realized that doesn't fit on everything Sure, you gotta know you know when to hold and when to fold them kind of thing definitely yeah that's definitely you know and uh, you know I, I think everyone probably has their way of doing things but that's not to say that the style is always going to be the same um, especially when it comes to the mood you like you might like faces in the same way but you, you know the backgrounds and everything and the, how much contrast can change uh, but uh, yeah and, and I thought when I, when I started doing those films I thought they want it bright they want it quick and I was like I've got to do that and it was really impressed upon me by this producer like make your days there's no overtime and, and it's true with those shows they're so tightly budgeted because there's no money and it all goes on the trucks and the catering and stuff that there's literally no money for anything and zero money for overtime um so you, you had to make your days and um and no and, and that's you know that's informed how i work so much um now like you know i might go on 
Riverdale, and uh, they've got all the time in the world, so it seems, and take forever. And I'm like, bang, 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 bang. Okay, let's go, let's shoot. A little bit and of I, the <laughs> the Indian film, and a little bit of those like movie of the week. So like, yeah, this guy's yeah. efficient. <laughs> so let's talk about Riverdale because we're we're nearing the end of our time together. Um, but I, I would love to talk about Riverdale because it's like a darling of Vancouver. I think it's what? How many seasons now? I guess it's going into its fourth season. Yeah. Right. So you're on second unit on Riverdale. So let's describe what second unit is. Yeah. And I would love to hear how you approach that show because if you haven't watched it, it it's a it's beautifully shot. And I know it's not all you and you're going to say, look. It is I'm, all me. No, no, <laughs> but, you know, it is still you. Um, but I love the lighting and the, the, the mood on Riverdale. I didn't know it was such a dark show. Yeah. You know, growing up reading Archie comics, Riverdale is not Archie comics. Sure, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. They're the same with Sabrina. Like, they've, you know, they're sort of giving it a new spin and new, yeah. sp- you know. Um, but but with that comes that sort of darkness and that moodiness and the deep colors and, you yeah. know, the, the ambient lighting. And it's all very dramatic, which yeah. is yeah. beautiful, I No, think. I love, I mean, because, you know, I'd love that stuff far more than, you know, a lot, you know, like the Hallmarks, for example, the kind of the opposite and you know it's a different thing you're going for like this glamour look all the time and um two different worlds really because yeah. Hallmark shoots everything up here yeah yeah all those Christmas they're shooting in April with like pretend oh snow on the streets oh God, and don't get me started you know <laughs> I have friends that have acted in it and you know yeah. there's tons of Hallmark stuff here there is there is so uh you know but how did you, you find Hallmark. Riverdale how did you um, or yeah how did you fall into that um I think it was I can't even I don't even know to be honest I think the producer um I had I talked with the producer about another show the previous year. I think that was what it was, and I, I guess that was enough for her to call me. I don't know. Was it um, big? Because I know a show can be big, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's you know. I mean, for me, big to was, you for it, your career. Yeah, I mean, big for me for sure. Like, because uh, at that point, I, you know, I'd done a couple of series, but they were lower budget series, and um, uh, and they never they didn't get renewed for a second season, and um, and you know, so I was still doing a lot of MOWs. That was really what I was paying my rent with. And uh, uh, so getting Riverdale was was huge. Um, now with second units, um, like historically, a second unit would be like for X Men, for example. You know, you have Hugh Jackman doing whatever he's doing, and you know, it's a main unit uh, shooting that scene with Hugh Jackman, and then you know, five cars get flown, thrown out a window and explode. Um, uh, then so main unit shoot all the stuff with Hugh Jackman. Um, and then uh, second unit come in and they shoot all the cars exploding. Right. Um, you know, th- so that historically that's the kind of thing that second unit do. They might pick up inserts and inserts like a close up of someone, you know, pressing a button or whatever. You know, and with when you don't got, want to waste time with yeah, the main actors. Exactly, because the main art actors cost a lot of money, and you just got to get through all your work. And so you put aside all these things that you can do with a hand double or with another unit. That makes sense. Um, gotcha. So typically, second unit would come in and clean up all this stuff. Um, but these days, uh, and certainly with Riverdale, it's not that you're simply another main unit only half the size uh you still got uh we still had the same page count um we had less time um we had all the main cast uh, there were full scenes um why it, is that just so much to get because through? so much to get through and uh and they were and they weren't being as efficient as i guess had initially been expected right. so it's a nice way to tighten it up uh yeah so you know so and um so, which was awesome because it meant I was just shooting scenes. I wasn't, you know, I, you know, I wasn't going in having to match the lighting for a scene that was already shot. I could just, you know, 
do I, what I wanted, obviously, within the look of the show. So how do you um, go about that as a DP? So you're, you're on the show. It's like you're going to start in a week, let's say. How do you approach that look and feel and lighting? What do you do as a, as a cinematographer to prep for that? Yeah, well, I had not done second unit before, and so I had that exact question when I right, got the true. job. Yeah, and, and um, so I was asked to go in for a couple of days to shadow the main unit DP to see how he worked and what he was doing. Um, and um, so I did that. Um, but what I realized ultimately is that um, I, I think everyone has their own... I mean, don't get me wrong, we all do the same stuff. Uh, you know, ultimately what everyone's aiming at isn't isn't often very different, you know. Um, uh, but you have your own techniques of how to achieve it and you have your quick things that you can do to tweak something, improve something. Um, and I've always been known as... Uh, you know, I, I always run in and pan a light quickly and run back to village. So I hate it. Like, you know, the TAD, which is the training assistant director, their job is to basically stand in village next to DP, the DP and announce on Channel 1 everywhere he's going, Toby's turn one, which is going to the washroom. On Channel 1 to everyone, great. Or Toby's coming in to set. I hate that because I'm just going in to just... Pan a stand. Is it because it's sort of it's um, like it's like big chops coming in? Uh, yeah, and and oh, do we need to halt halt proceedings? I'm like, no, keep going. Oh, I uh, see. Like, is it going to be um, a big discussion about what you want? Exactly. Am I going to you know slow shit down or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but um, but uh, where was I going? Or just how this? you approach. It. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was it. So, um, so I think everyone has their own way of doing things. So, like, you know, if we move on to a close up, I might do a quick something to improve it. Based, you know, compared to the wide shot, um, and someone else will do something else. Uh, and any of you have, uh, you know, so th- there's always these little problems that emerge. You know, you, you approach a shot um, and with a certain, you know, lighting in mind, and you, and you do that. But little problems emerge, and you might need to cut light off a wall. Well, and on that point, you mentioned Video Village for people that don't know what that is. Like, v- Video Village is not on the set. So you have the set, right, where the actors are and yeah. everything's happening. Mm-hmm. And then Video Village is this little world in a tent, yeah. blacked out usually like around the corner. Yeah. And that, you're living more in Video Village, yeah. right? Just to be clear for people, you're not on set with That's the director. Right. You are looking through kind of the screen of what it's going to look like on TV. Yeah. which is, So you which, need to see it not with like, oh, I'm standing here. But you need to see it. What's it going to look like on television? Exactly. And th- so this is... 16 this, by 9 or whatever, right? Yeah, and this is new, like, you know, because, you know, back, you know, even 15 years ago or less um, shooting film, for example, there wouldn't have been the video village. There's no point um, because it's all going to the film stock. And, and at that point, you you know, you, you, you understand your film stock, your light meter. Um, you trust the camera operators. Uh, you see it on a very crappy video feed. Um which you can't rely on at all, um, and so previously it was it wasn't there wasn't a video village, um, you know, and you might be right there on set, uh, probably would be. Would you um, say it's better this way or no? No, I don't know because I love. I mean, I love operating a camera like, and so with um, with all my Indian movies, I was operating the camera, single camera. I was operating. I was I was doing the lighting. Whereas in TV uh, now, the DP doesn't operate the camera. You have a camera operator. You have a, yeah, a, uh, you know, an A camera operator and a B camera operator. And then assistance um, for and, those cameras. And assistance for those. Yeah. So I'm not ever touching a camera or a lens you or miss anything. It? Yeah, loads. Um, Are you allowed to touch it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can jump on it. Toby's if you want. coming into set to touch the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I try to, like I say, with the collaboration, like I try and hire people that I don't have to micromanage and don't, and I don't want to because you get more from people if they're engaged in the process and as soon as you start micromanaging and I know this from you web kill their design, vibe, right? from, you totally kill the vibe and then they just become a what do you want me to do you know they're not creatively engaged anymore they're not giving you won't everything. get the best yeah so um, so I don't want to micromanage the ca- and so I, I'm not someone who will jump in and be like get off this 
Dolly and yes. give me this. Uh, unless they're terrible. Unless it's upside reason. down. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's so, the standing yeah. joke. We'll never, le- we'll never let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, vid- but nowadays with HD video, um, what is coming pipe, what is being piped out of the camera through the cable is the image that you're going to see, and you do want to look at it in a tent so you can judge your contrast properly and everything. But it's annoying because you're in this freaking tent and you're not on set, and uh, and so if you want to tweak that light, it's annoying. It's like the telephone game a bit. Yeah, it is. There's it a detachment. Totally you literally have yeah. to walk over there. And so for me, people are always saying, oh, it's really good that you wear a Comtech. And a Comtech is um, uh, is what uh, you use to monitor the actor's dialogue. Um, and like I headphones? Do, like headphones, okay. yeah. And then, so you've got a little wireless thing the sound guy gives you and headphones and you can walk around and, and hear the dialogue clearly right um uh and i do like to do that so i am engaged in what people are saying because you can just be looking at images and you're not in, involved in the scene and you don't you might be like it is fine for them to be dark right now but um because they're talking do you about hear them something. when they're talking when it's like cut? yeah so yeah they all... do the sound guys try and you know <laughs> mute it i'm so, so curious you don't get about that. that you're getting like their weekend stories well and... the other reason i wear a contact is because uh the boom is on set and i can hear what's going on on set and 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 i can't Stand it if like if the director and the camera operator are talking and I don't know what they're talking you about. Know, yeah. I hate it and I, and also you know you finish FOMO. a shot and then you've got to you've got to I run in as fast as I can just so that I'm involved in moving on because otherwise you got anyway. Um, so yeah, there's this detachment of video village, which I don't think people know. Like when you walk by a set and you see that black tent. Yeah. That's probably Video Village. That's right. And you know, and like I say, you have to go back there to, in order to sort of, so you're judging the contrast properly and all that stuff. And the directors will, will frequently be on set with little monitors. They don't need to see the images clearly and they're you know closer to the actors. And, and I don't like that either. Like I like to be close to the director so you can talk and conspire and decide mm-hmm. what's important and be able to make eye contact. So that's a bit of a change during for you. A take and, yeah. Um, clearly it's working out though. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the way it is and I see why it is. You know, uh, I used to say like, you know, give me one camera and I'll shoot this stuff quicker than not operating two of them um i don't think i quite think that way anymore um there's times when i totally do and i'm famous for not liking to play b camera um and what's a and b camera just for so, people well, so so a camera uh, a camera is obviously the main camera um and uh ultimately when you shoot a scene you you block a scene what's called blocking a scene with the director um uh, which is where you figure out what the actors are going to do where they're going to go and where you're going to put the cameras and whether they're going to move and you know which parts of the scene you're going to cover from what angles and and what you need to cover the scene um and uh an A camera is at the front and center of that. Um, and so ultimately, you're, you know, you're building your scene um, ultimately with the A camera. Uh, and then B camera, you can use it in various different ways. Frequently, what people are using it, they're on a longer lens shooting a close-up uh, okay. while, while the A camera is doing something a little wider. Uh, I don't like that. Um, I like to use the best lens possible in exactly the right spot. Um, and I think you can do that quickly and efficiently and get fantastic results. Whereas this is general TV culture that I'm always fighting against, which is, get the two cameras in there, we haven't got time, we've got yes. to get, don't give a shit if it's a long lens. TV anyway. is frantic. Tony mentioned yeah. that, right? Like, feature film. You're just bleeding time. You might do one shot for I'd the whole that. day. I think, well, I don't know if I'd love he that. He was a bit yeah, lost, though. He was just that. like, this is, we're yeah. not, like, once you get on that TV yeah. world where you're just giving her the whole time, uh-huh. film is like, yeah. like a sloth. Yeah, yeah, it's sure, sure. And I I think I'd love that. I mean, I'll say it's been a while since I've done that and I'm so used to like go go go. Yeah. Um So oh, okay. so Riverdale like all those young kids, do you feel old? You know, we're getting up there you and I. And I started thinking about <laughs> all of these shows, these young Sabrina, Riverdale, uh-huh. these you know, you're around all these teeny bopper kind of uh-huh. actors. I remember Tony worked on Twilight and he was like, "I feel old." Yeah, yeah. These kids seem so young, you know, yeah. and there's like 
you know, a hundred screaming people on set get, being held back. Yeah. And that's when he's like, I realized I wasn't 19 anymore. You right. know? Like, yeah. you are now, you know, yeah, your yeah. father, you have yep. two kids, and you're Maybe working the on the show now. of young youngsters. Yeah. What's that like? What's that vibe? What's the vibe on Riverdale? I mean, to be honest, the, the cast are all very, very cool. Um, you know, there's a couple that are less so, but, um, but in general, like... Uh, the cast are, are great. Um, I can't say enough about KJ, who plays Archie. He's like the most down-to-earth, awesome guy who's just going to be hanging around, you know, having a laugh with the crew. No ego, great guy. can't say enough about him. And the same goes for so many of the other cast members. Um, so, you know, it's obviously a big cast, um, a lot of them. Um, so I was initially thinking, God, it's going to be an ego fest. But it, it kind of it kind of wasn't, and you know, it, here and there it can get that way, and, and um, but and that um, may change as the show goes on. Yeah, right? I think it has been because I haven't worked on it now. For I've, I've heard a that year trend generally so, so. with yeah. with shows. You know, like uh-huh. season one, everyone's lovely. Season five, you see a lot more temper tantrums. Yeah, because I guess I was on two. Because they're like, look, this is successful now, and I've had it, and this is what I want. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they just put their foot down because they've got more confidence. Yeah, and I've heard from people who've been working on it that that's starting to happen a bit more now. Yeah, um, I think it's inevitable. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then the whole Luke Perry thing that was so sad. Super sad. I grew yeah. up with him, and yeah. that's when I realized I was old because you know he's like fifty one or two and dies of a stroke, and I'm like, God, he was a heartthrob when I was young. Yeah, and I that know. was a big hit for yeah. the city, right? Yeah, and I'd because I'd worked with him a few times before then, and yeah, you know, great guy. Um, I'd, I've been I've been working my way through the nine hundred two one zero cast actually because I've worked with um. Um, Jason Priestley is another great guy. And he's directing a lot now, Yeah, right? he is. I think he's doing that more than, than acting, yeah. Um, and uh, Shannon uh, Doherty as well. I work and with. they're coming back uh, for the whole uh, 90210 revamp, I think. Great. Right. Like a reunion yeah, of sorts yeah. without Luke, sadly. Yeah, well, that's, is, yeah, I mean. That's yeah. bittersweet for sure. Yeah, totally. Because Luke was a great guy. Like, yeah. uh, you know, again, you know. Everyone raved didn't about bring, him. Yeah, didn't bring ego to set. It was just an and awesome And then you just have to keep guy. going. It's like, ugh. Yeah. And it kind of brings me to the end of, like, you know, family and how hard it is. We kind of touched on it of being a father, being a husband, and also wanting to kind of keep channeling and moving your career along. Sure. Right? Film can take everything if yeah. you let it. it uh, yeah, you know? and it does. And uh, there's one person I can credit for that, which is my wife. Um, I wouldn't be able to do it without my wife. Like, um, we've got two kids, um, five and four and seven. And... Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of work involved in that. And uh, when I'm working, I'm not there. Like, no. I, I'm, I'm gone before they wake up, and I get home after they've gone to bed uh, five days a week. And on the weekends, I'm exhausted. And yes. it's all like, Daddy's home, let's do stuff, it's Saturday. And I'm like, I just want to yeah. sit here and do it, nothing. It's a toll, for sure. Yeah, and so, and uh, I genuinely don't know what I would be, how I would do it without, without my wife, because, um, you know, she holds that immensely heavy fort together all the time. And, yes. uh and, you know, I, yeah, like, uh, you know, once in a while, I thought, what would I do? And I can't think of anything. I think I would genuinely have to change my career. Yes. Um, well, both people working in film, because she obviously came from a lot of that background, too, and it's challenging for you both to be able to carve that out and still have a family. And yeah. so kudos to your lovely wife and all film yeah. spouses out there. Absolutely, really, yeah. Because it takes a village. It, it really does. It really does. And, like, you know, as I say, you, you end up just being absent. And But then you have these periods like now where I'm with them every day, I'm taking them to school, picking them up. That's our uh, reality at home, too. Yeah, so it's like My all son's all, nothing. Daddy, 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 I want Daddy to do everything. Exactly. And I'm like, that's totally fine. <laughs> exactly. Daddy can go wipe your bum. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tony used to feel so sad, like he wants you for everything. And I'm like... 
It's all you now. Yeah, Enjoy. yeah. That's it. Yeah, he's calling you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now you're off to the UK, some family time. Yeah. So that's one plus of hiatus. Yeah. You know, if you take it for uh, for what it's worth, you can have downtime, mm-hmm. um, be able to reset. And yeah. then everything gears back up in the summer. Are you back on? What do you? You don't really know what you're doing next. Don't know. No, there's a few potential lines in the fire, but we'll see well, which one. You might just get a phone call telling you to show up somewhere at 6:30 a.m. I might, and I'll take it. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. No worries. Thanks for having I me. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. Thanks. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to VantropolisPodcast.com, or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, subscribe, or share it with someone you love. Or don't love. Just share it.